Welcome back to the varied lives of Charles McCabe. I am your host, Charles McCabe. Orphan 1. The first life saw the creation of two beings, not just one. All things in the universe crave balance, and life is no different. With intelligence, it is ignorance. With decency, it is cruelty. And with life, it is death. In this case, death was the second to be born that day. He came into the world fully formed and aware of his duties. Death was not to be cruel or malicious. He would be a mercy to those passing over and to show them to their final rest. His embrace would be warm and show compassion to those that may not have known it in life. But in the early years, with the population so low, death also had time to watch how life developed. Many times, death feared that life would meet a permanent end before it truly had a chance to get going. A meteor here, an ice age there, sometimes just plain carelessness on a species-wide level could cause it. He had lost count of how many species he had helped usher to the other side. Then, mammals came along. He could see promise in these creatures, and he had hopes for them. At first, they were small and only slightly intelligent. But over time, the species parted, and some offshoots began to develop higher functions. In Death's opinion, things were finally getting good. Maybe, with the emergence of what would become mankind, life would finally have a chance to progress beyond the simple existence that death had witnessed so far. When early man first began making tools, death was enthralled. Here were creatures that were finally creating things to improve life for all. Then, man realized that anything that could be used to create could also be used to destroy. When death claimed the first man to be killed by a human tool, he could have wept. As man evolved, the manner in which he came to death evolved as well. With each new breakthrough towards advancing the species came an equal discovery aimed at ending members of it. Those who came to him in fire found his embrace cooling. Those that came to him cleaved in two found his embrace restoring. Those who came to him in violence found his embrace calm and welcoming. And of course, there were those that still came to him through general misadventures. But the ones that he liked the most were those that came to him due to the fullness of time. Those he would take the time to talk with at length about their lives. They seemed pleased to do this, as there is nothing more precious to a person than their life. And having just lost that particular gem, a person is more than happy to discuss it. Death offered no judgments over those he embraced, and the dead appreciated it. 2. Time passed, in the way that time does, and people evolved. No longer were people hiding in caves. Now they were gathering in communities. It was not about the survival of the single-family union, but the survival of the community. But with that advancement in society, violence evolved as well. Instead of the usual small skirmishes that might see as many as a dozen dead, now war could be waged and the death toll could be beyond measure. It was safe to say that death would not go long without a job to do, but it would be unfair to say he enjoyed it. 
Once a creature felt his embrace and passed beyond him, he lost sight of them. If death ever thought about this, he would realize that he cared for all those that came to him, no matter their lot in life. In death, all beings are equal, and he treated them as such. It wasn't something that he had had to learn. It was just the way of things. When those beings passed beyond him, he missed them and mourned their lost opportunities. Death hated war. War kept him busy, and he preferred to spend his time watching humanity grow, not trying to destroy itself. As time itself was different for death, he could take his time when dealing with those that came to him, no matter their numbers. He gave them all their due consideration before ushering them on. He never held a grudge, even when facing those that had committed the vilest acts imaginable. Would they pay once they passed beyond him? He didn't know, and it wasn't his place to say one way or the other. Even though he kept hoping humanity would eventually evolve beyond the desire for war, it never seemed to happen. There was always someone that wanted something that his neighbor had and could convince others to get it for him. Or the ones that found insult in the most absurd places and convinced others that they were insulted as well. After all, wars are rarely fought by those that actually make the decision to go to war in the first place. But again, that was not death's place to judge. He knew he would embrace the warbringers in their own time. This isn't to say that he didn't spend time watching advancements being made. Never think it. He was in absolute awe of humanity's first flight. He was relieved when it didn't end in his embrace. Then planes evolved, like most things do, and death began embracing his charges at all manner of altitudes. He eventually even went to space. That was a bittersweet time for him, to see humanity reach so far and still yet come to him. 3. Death noticed it before people did. The die-off. It was slow at first, as these things are, and then by the time people took heed, it was far too late. He had witnessed countless die-off events throughout his existence, and there was always one cause. That cause was invariably a lack of resources. Humanity had outgrown their means of taking care of themselves, and now they would face their toughest challenge. They would have to watch as large portions of their numbers died out in droves. It would not be an easy thing to do. It never was. Death hoped that seeing just how fragile their existence was, people would finally come together to help each other overcome their differences. He should have known better. Once people started realizing what was causing the deaths, they began to stockpile what they had instead of sharing it with others. Then, the final war began. Those in power wanted each other's resources. It didn't even matter to them that no one had much at this point. What little there was to be had, they all wanted. While the powers that be fought over a dwindling amount of supplies, those not in power were dying. Death met them all and helped them forget those final years. By the time they realized their folly, most had been driven too mad to care, then others turned to death as the only way out. As always, death embraced them in turn and showed them the way on to wherever they were going. 
before long, death would be alone. 4. One by one, the lands emptied of people. Death walked the empty cities and mourned their loss. As each of the final people died, he would not let them know just how few of them were left. Finally, all of the human population of Earth fit in one small house. Death had not been called there to do his work, but rather he was generally drawn to life. This tiny bastion of life now held his full attention. All of humanity had boiled down to this elderly man, a youngish woman, and her small son. The woman and boy may or may not have been related to the man, but it hardly mattered at this point. Judging from the pictures on the walls, these people were not the original occupants of the house, but that didn't really matter either. Somehow, they had located one of the stockpiles of supplies and had survived, at least so far. If starvation didn't get them, then there were still many different ways to die. And if nothing else, time would still do the trick. The man, Eddie, would often go out scavenging for whatever he could find. It was slow going as he kept an eye out for other survivors, but death could tell him not to bother. Eddie eventually came to this conclusion himself and started focusing on finding more supplies. The ones that they had would last a while, since there were only three of them, but it didn't hurt to have more. Often, he would bring back small quantities of fuel for the generators or a bit of food that he had located. Eddie became a master at scouring the buildings in the city for any types of supplies that would be useful. Eventually, he began taking the mother, Kara, and her son, John, out on supply trips. He taught them what signs to look for and what to avoid. Death was glad that Eddie was helping Kara and John to survive. In all honesty, he wasn't looking forward to claiming them. But life is rarely so accommodating, even to death. One morning, Eddie didn't get up for his usual supply run. Kara knocked on his door, but Death knew that Eddie would not answer. Death had embraced him in the middle of the night because of a ruptured aneurysm. All Kara knew was that Eddie had died in his sleep, and that was probably for the best. Death spent a long time chatting with Eddie, and finally did admit that Kara and John were officially alone on Earth. This broke Eddie's heart, but Death promised he would look out for them. This seemed to cheer Eddie up a bit, and he went on to see what, if anything, was next. Death was as good as his word. He kept an eye on Kara and her son and watched them go on in this empty world. Now, John was old enough where he typically went on supply runs on his own. And in addition to the necessities, if he came across some little something that his mother might like, he'd usually bring it to her. Anything to bring a smile to her face. Kara was proud to see her son growing strong in what was left in the world but she was saddened by the fact that there was no one else around. John wasn't old enough to remember the way the world was, so they usually spent the evenings talking about what used to be. She knew that there were entire segments of history that she was forgetting. 
But at this point, that didn't matter either. It wasn't like there would be a test on it or anything. Just a way to pass the time. Kara would go on supply runs if John had found a cache that required two people to haul. It was one winter's day when he came across just such a stash. He grabbed a few of the items from the top and rushed them home. As soon as he walked in and showed them to his mother, she said it looked like a good find for the day. That was when he told her that what he had brought was just the tip of the iceberg. For trips like this, they had adapted a handcart that either of them could drag, as long as it wasn't too heavily burdened. But with both of them pulling, they could load it up as full as they wanted. The cache was in the basement of one of the old buildings across town. There was plenty of water, food, fuel, and weapons. They would leave the weapons, since there didn't appear to be much to defend themselves from now, but the rest would be going with them. First, they loaded up the water, since every bit of outside water they could use would save their filtration system. Next was the food. They would save the fuel for the second trip, if they had to make one. After all, it was a mild winter, and their fuel supplies were still going strong. John was outside placing the last of the water in the cart when he heard the explosion. 5. Death witnessed the scene as he always had. After John left with the last case of water, Kara began gathering the food packages to place beside the door. That way, they could make the best use of their time. Also, John was better at arranging the cart than she was. Kara often thought that John was uniquely suited for this world, which was heartbreaking in itself. There was a particularly heavy-looking tin of potted meat, and as soon as Kara started to lift it up, she could see the flashing light under it. She had just enough time to wonder what the blinking was when the mine that had been hidden in the supplies went off. Some person's idea of security had just cut the world's population by half. Death embraced Kara, and she stepped back, looking at the blast that had been frozen in time around her. When the realization had struck home what had happened, she broke down crying. Death was used to this reaction, so he patiently let it run its course. Eventually, it did, and Kara began asking questions. Death answered each one in turn, and she seemed satisfied with his answers. When Death explained that she must now move on, she was understandably reluctant. She didn't want to leave her son alone, for he now was truly alone. No other human in history could say that, save for him. Finally, Death agreed that he would look out for him after she was gone. Like Eddie before her, she seemed relieved with this and went on. John spent the next week digging in the vain hope that his mother survived. But in the second week, he admitted to himself that he was now digging in order to give her a proper burial. He didn't care about the supplies. They, rather he, had plenty now. He just wanted to do right by his mother. He eventually did extract her from the ruins, and he gave her the best burial that he was capable of. Afterwards, he was sitting at home, mourning her loss, when he started talking out loud. Death witnessed this and made a decision. It would break all of his rules, 
but he couldn't stand watching John's heartbreaking. Death waited for John to ask a question, and when he eventually did, Death answered him. John froze, as anyone would, having just heard a voice speak from nowhere. John supposed that he was finally cracking up, but he had thought that he would last a little longer before he started hearing voices. Death spoke again, assuring John that he wasn't just imagining this. John's response was that he was sure all hallucinations said things like that. Death couldn't exactly fault him for this. Death revealed himself and did his introductions. He had never considered that he would be doing this, but it actually felt good to be seen by the living. Perhaps he should have done this years ago. To John, death appeared to be a pale figure in a dark cloak. Not particularly frightening, but certainly unusual. His mother had told him that many people thought of death as a skeleton in a black robe. He could kind of see why, but the cloak was closer to a deep red than black. And the face above it didn't really have a defined shape, but it was definitely pale. That was all that John could see for certain. It was almost like the face became whatever people found comforting at the time. He asked Death about this, and Death actually laughed and said that that was exactly right. Next, John asked about his mother, and Death told him all about what had happened. He even included their final conversation before she moved on. Death told John about his promise to look after him and John actually looked relieved not to be alone anymore. After John fell asleep that night, Death went out on his own and searched for supplies. As he still wasn't physically there, he couldn't carry anything back, but he could remember where everything was, and he would be able to scout to make sure there were no more nasty surprises waiting for him. Each day, John and Death would go out gathering supplies and Death would tell John a more complete version of the world that was. He tried to stay more towards mankind's greatest achievements, but John told him that that only told half the story. If John was going to understand how things had become as they are, he had to know everything. Death asked why John felt the need to understand those awful things, and John just looked at him. Finally, John said that as he now had access to the entire repository of human knowledge, why shouldn't he try to understand it all? Looking at it that way, Death honestly couldn't blame him. When Death asked how far back John wanted him to start, John thought for a second before telling Death he wanted to hear it all from the very beginning. Death said that that would take years. John smiled and asked if Death had other plans. 6. Years passed, and the two discussed everything. There was no shame between them, no guilt, no distrust, nothing that defined far too many human relationships. John would make observations regarding the things that Death told him, and Death would either correct him or agree with him. When John would argue his point, Death would usually go over something that would clarify what he was saying, but there were times when John convinced Death and Death's perception of events would shift. Eventually, the trips became less about scouring for supplies and more about just talking. There were days when John and Death didn't bring home anything more than a better understanding of the world that was. 
On those days, John felt a true sense of accomplishment. After all, with Death's help, he managed to gather enough supplies to last a lifetime. In fact, that was all the time that the supplies had to last. As John grew older, Death was coming to the realization that he had made a genuine friend, and not just someone that he would talk with for a while before ushering him on. But that time would be coming, and given John's advancing age, it probably wouldn't be too long in the future. When Death considered this, he would push the thought away. However, it became obvious that John's thoughts ran along the same lines, because he started asking Death what would happen when he died. Finally, Death told him about his embrace, and John realized that in all the years that they had known one another, he had never thought to try to touch Death, and Death had certainly never tried to touch him. It made sense. Death went on to tell him that he could talk to him for a while before sending him on. When John asked what he would go on to, Death only shook his head and said that he didn't know. John actually laughed and said that after all these years, he had finally found the one thing that Death didn't know. After a moment, Death's laughter joined John's. John stood up with some effort and went to look at the window. It was sunset, and the colors in the sky were beautiful. Death had a feeling he knew it was coming, but he hoped he was wrong. He wasn't. 7. John looked over his shoulder and told Death that he was ready. Death didn't rise, but sat there looking at John. John turned back to the fading sun and said that it was a good sunset to go out on. Death reminded John that once he was gone, there would never be another person on earth. John's simple response was to ask what his point was. Death had to admit that he guessed he didn't have one. John said that he was tired of living in this graveyard, and that he would prefer a quick end over some slow wasting away. Death couldn't fault him this opinion, but he still didn't stand. He tried one last-ditch effort to change John's mind and asked what his mother would have wanted. John turned and said that his mother would have wanted a long life that wasn't cut short by some madman's bomb. She would have wanted to live in a world full of life instead of one full of death. Death took the words as a personal insult, even though he knew he shouldn't. Giving in, Death asked one last time if John was sure and John said that he had never been so sure of anything. Death stood and slowly walked over to John, but before he could reach him, John asked him to wait for just a moment. Death was more than willing to grant his request. John turned, muttered something under his breath, and said that he was ready. Hesitating just a moment more in case John changed his mind, Death opened his arms and embraced the final man on earth. 8. John leaned back against death and was surprised to find that he was warm. He said that he had always heard about death's cold embrace. Death chuckled and said not to take it personally. John stepped away from him and looked around, finding that nothing had changed. He asked if death was just more of the same, and death told him that this was just how death started. To see what was next, he would have to move on.
John noticed that there was a doorway that hadn't been there before and asked if that was the way. Death nodded and said that it wasn't always a door. Sometimes it appears as a hole or a cavern or even a gate. It all depended on the person. For one woman, it appeared as the door of an elevator. John considered this, but made no move to go through the door. When John hesitated, Death asked him what he had muttered right before the end. With a sad smile, John said that he was saying goodbye to the world. Death nodded and said that he was glad that someone had been able to say it. John replied that since he hadn't been able to say goodbye to his mother or to Eddie, it was the least he could do. After a bit more discussion, John seemed ready to go through the door. As he walked over, Death realized that his purpose was now finished. He would usher no one else on because there was no one left. He turned to watch his friend go on because when everything else was said and done, he could at least be a witness. 9. John opened the door, took a step inside, looked around at Death with a smile, and asked if he was coming. The thought never occurred to Death that he could move on too. Death took off after his friend, and together they went through the door in order to see what was next. The End um, This story came out of a conversation about not how did life begin, but what would it be like when life ends? Um, I mean, what would be next? I'm not even talking about... Um, so much an afterlife per se more of what would it look like for those final people would they realize they are the final people and I don't know um, this one kind of stuck in my head for a while before I could write it. Um, at first, I found it so depressing. And then I realized that it could be a beautiful thing, too. Um, the friendship between John and Death. Um, it's important to have a tether, even with an otherworldly being. And now that I say that, I'm not <laughs> entirely certain if the tether was more important for John or for death. I guess either way. Um, this one really got me thinking. Um, and it really helped shift my perspective on death. Uh, which helped. Um, at the time, I really needed that. Um, it helped me bring myself out of a really, really dark place. Um, it helped me see that there was light even in the darkness uh, and I really needed that um, if you are in that darkness look for the light I swear it's out there um, now uh, before I uh, <laughs> get into a therapy session here I'm going to go ahead and call this one to a close. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. 
I uh, hope I didn't bring you down with that last little bit. As always, this is The Buried Lives of Charles McCabe, and I've been your host, Charles McCabe. See you next time.